0: Good evening, Um, I'm Megan. If you don't know me, I'm Megan, hello. And tonight we're gonna be chatting all about friendship, what that looks like, what the Bible says about that, and particularly what that looked like in David's life. So lean in and let's get kicking off. So my best present, or one of my best at least, was given to me last month by one of my best mates, Susanna, who is at the back of the room. And it was a pack of Top Trumps with all my friends on it. Um, there should be one here. They are the best thing ever. So you can see all about it. So she did a couple of um, some of the people from here. So there we have... We have she, was, she was really horrible on herself, though. Like, we bit of a legend, 68. It's a bit awful. Um, but she also got a lot of my friends from home involved. Here we have a few of them. These were so funny because um, she got them to do them themselves. And it's like really specific humor, but it was so funny. Um, but as I was flicking through them, it got me thinking about some of our stories, some of the like crazy times we've had. And here we have Josh and Josh. so Or as we refer to them, Jay Woody and Jay Mar. One of my favorite stories of the two of them is also the story that they would literally kill me if they knew I was telling you. And it's from a couple of years back. They were both at Jay Woody's. Just to clarify, they also don't look like this anymore because I feel like with the photos, you're going to be really confused by this story. Anyway, back to the top trumps. Um, So they were both at Jay Woody's and started wrestling. And honestly, I'm not even going to pretend to understand how this happens, but Jay Moore ended up giving Jay Woody a hickey. Yeah, otherwise known as a love bite. Um, it looks a bit like a bruise. The next day, Jay Woody is doing some mission stuff in the town, alongside his girlfriend's dad, Dave. But he can't even blame it on his girlfriend, not that it, he would, because she is not in Northern Ireland, but in England at uni. So we spent the whole day walking around like this, before eventually going, Dave! I've got a hickey, but I haven't cheated. It's from Joshua Martin. (laughs) These guys are obviously quite close, but they also have a brotherhood, which is honest and open and life-giving. I've seen them let each other down so many times, but they're committed to each other, and that means sticking around even when it's hard. Friendship means commitment, but lately, Sometimes it seems to be an answer to our loneliness, a stopping gap until we get married, or a matter of convenience rather than commitment. What would it look like to not only live out Jesus centric friendships, but to do friendship in the way that He did, in the way that we see portrayed time and time again within the Bible? What would it look like to fight for our friendship in the same way that people fight for their marriages? What would it look like to commit to being there in the good times and the bad, in the sickness and the health? What would it look like to be friends that lay our lives down for each other? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, come and speak to us tonight. Open up our ears to hear you more clearly. May you be the loudest voice in this room. Help us lean into what you're saying. Come and stir our hearts for yours. Amen. Amen. So let's unpack an example of this friendship. Have you ever felt like your entire identity is attached to someone else's? Like you're only known as someone's daughter or someone's son, someone's sister or brother, someone's friend or someone's husband or wife, that you almost don't have your own identity? Introducing Jonathan. Jonathan is the most perfect example of this. I spent hours scouring the web trying to to see that every mention of Jonathan contains the words, David's friend or Saul's son. Being the son of Saul, he was the king at the time. He was in line to inherit the throne. And instead, here is a boy who completely lays down his own destiny for that of his friend. Jonathan could have been king. He could have been remembered as great or he could have been remembered as bad. But he could have been remembered for being more than the friend of David. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, that'd be amazing. We're going to be journeying through quite a bit of scripture, so it'd be great to get those up. We're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 18, to 5 After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Just for context, this is just after David's defeat at Goliath. um, Literally straight after. So when, when we're looking at this, when is the last time you felt truly vulnerable? Do you know? The last time I was vulnerable was this week with my housemate, Susanna, while we did the dishes. Vulnerability is easier when you can't look someone in the eye. Vulner- um, she asked me a question, and I could have brushed it off, but instead, I was honest, as I would expect her to be with me. I have to actively practice vulnerability in my life, as my natural response is to flee. But I've learned who my people are that I need to practice vulnerability with, And that's not everyone, and it shouldn't be. We see this with Jonathan. Jonathan chooses to make himself completely vulnerable before David, and only David. Before the boy who could have been his enemy, he lays down his weapons and clothes the shepherd in the robes of a prince. From Jonathan, we see this beautiful act of surrender. Mature friendship requires surrendering before our friends laying down all that's heavy and ill-fitting, not because they can or should carry it, but because they can help lighten your node. Because if we journey through life together, we don't just want the highlights real, we want the tough and the hard so that we can fully celebrate the highs together. Who are the people in your life that you can be vulnerable with? Who do you feel like you should be vulnerable with? Perhaps you don't know, and that's okay. Within our friendships, we can also encourage vulnerability by taking the time to ask good questions. Not for the sake of vulnerability, but out of a love for the person and a yearning to know more about them. Jonathan made a covenant relationship with David because he loved him as himself. The term covenant is of Latin origin, convenar. I don't speak Latin, I have no idea. (laughs) Meaning, a coming together. Covenant is this big Christian word that is used frequently in the Bible, and we see it mainly with God when God enters into a covenant or partnership with his people. Both sides have to play their part. God uses covenants to try and rebuild the relationship with the people of Israel that was broken by Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Yet the people of Israel break the covenant every time. They continually fall short of the glory of God. Yet our God is gracious. And he sends his son, Jesus, to fulfill and restore all the covenants that were made. Through his death and resurrection, the new covenant is created. And through following Jesus, we are all able to enter into a partnership with God. I'm telling you all this because I don't want the reality of how massive a thing this is to be missed. In this circumstance, it refers to a lifelong bond. Bond? Some people prefer the term bond. This is a circumstance of a lifelong bond of friendship being sealed marriage is also a form of covenant or bond. The one thing I take away from this when I read it is that this covenant meant a high level of commitment. They vow to be friends for life. They commit to being there for each other in the highs and the lows, in sickness and health. They are bound together as one and it completely undermines the modern day view of friendship that sees friends for seasons. That sees this group of pe- people from my uni years, this group of people from my teens, and this group of people from my 20s, before moving on and finding yet another group of people. How often do you hear people say, Oh, we drifted apart? Sometimes we drift because we have to, an incomplete contradiction. Some friends are for a season. More often, however, we lose friends because we aren't prepared to fight, because the act of admitting that you need someone is vulnerable and difficult. It can be all too easy to place friends as our backup plans for married life and family and see them as a temporary fixture and not as the lifelong nourishing friendships that we need to fight for. When I was 17, I had this group of friends. We were a range of ages and from different life stages, but they were my gals. We spent every weekend together and we loved each other. One of them, one day, one of them just seemingly vanished off the face of the earth, kind of like the friendship version of being ghosted. It was hard because I valued her friendship and her input so deeply. And when we all drifted, it truly hurt. I wish that I had been mature enough to fight or at least ask why. Value your friendship enough to fight for them. Jump forward with me to chapter 20. Here we see this honest and trusting conversation between Jonathan and David. Saul is beginning to recognize David as a rival for the throne and David fears that he is soon going to kill him. In the conversation, David's saying, am I going to die? Can't you just do it? And Jonathan says, you're not going to die, I'll protect you. Every friendship requires two things, and that's honesty and trust. Jonathan is so honest, it puts his right to inherit the throne at risk, that it puts his relationship with his father at risk. Often, honesty risks something. It's not always an easy thing. Have you ever been, have you ever had to tell a hard truth? Have you ever been told a hard truth? A Few years ago, I met with one of my best friends for brunch and we had a really difficult but deeply life-giving conversation. Around this time, I hadn't been that well and my friends had stepped up massively. I wasn't the easiest person in the world to be around at this stage, and yet they were there day in and day out. Which meant when my friend sat across the table from me and told me that for the last six months, she's had crippling anxiety, and I had to admit that I hadn't even noticed my heart broke. I had to admit that I'd been so wrapped up in my own circumstance that I hadn't seen hers. I had to admit that I'd been a rubbish friend, to which she replied, yeah, you have. That honesty allowed us to step up in terms of our relationship with each other, and it gave permission for her to expect more from me. Honesty isn't, even, isn't easy, but it is loving. We also need to trust like David. David has every reason not to trust Jonathan, the son of Saul, but he has every reason to trust Jonathan, his friend. Yet, it's a trust that takes risks. He literally places his life in Jonathan's hands. Sometimes we need to trust when our friends tell us something that it's out of love. We need to trust their judgment and trust what they tell us is true. So, Jonathan asks David to trust him and they concoct a plan. They decide that David will miss the big feast that's happening and Jonathan will gauge how Spall responds to this. At this point, God has left Saul. He is completely detached from God and subsequently his decision-making has completely fallen apart because he is not in step with God. This means that Saul is filled with rage and jealousy and his judgment is clouded. We see this clearly in verse 30 after Jonathan lies and says that David has gone to Bethlehem to be with his family. At this point, Saul's temper rages. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. The next morning, Jonathan goes out to the field for his meeting with David. He was hiding there. They've decided that they, he would shoot three arrows and then send a boy to collect them. And if he says, they're at the side of you, David is safe. But if he says, they're beyond you, he is not. You can see where this is going. He shoots three arrows and says, aren't they beyond you? David is unsafe and has to flee. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 41. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times. With his face to the ground, then they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. It's worth noting this section where it mentions some kissing. In our hypersexualized society, it can be all too easy to see this story through a romantic lens. The reality is that this was a common thing at the time, to greet or show affection in this way. But their friendship, in general, reaches intimacy levels that our current-day friendships can't because there's such a layer of, what if people think we're dating? Particularly limiting on male-female relationships because after it reaches a certain point of intimacy, or to be completely honest, just when it exists, suddenly the questions form of, when are you two going to get together? Our society, and in particularly Christian culture, idolizes relationships so much that we find it hard to celebrate and be content with the beautiful reality of brother and sister relationships. Perhaps for us, It's easier to look at male-female relationships and see a a potential romantic partnership rather than to see it as a powerful friendship. I do this with my friends, and I've had it done to me. We do it with characters on TV shows, and society has even done it with Jesus and Mary Magdalene. The more this question of, when are you two going to get together is asked, the more the friendship is questioned. And I have seen so many of my friends really deeply hurt by stepping into romantic relationships that should have remained a friendship. We need really good brother and sister relationships. For a start, they will bring more laughter into your life, even if they aren't as weird as my band of merry men. But mixed friendships will also push you and strengthen you. They will call out the things that no one else sees. There have been so many times when they have been able to speak truth into my life in ways that my friends who are girls just can't. They see things that I can't, and they push me in ways others can't, and I wouldn't be the woman I am today without these guys. And wept together, but David wept the most. I discovered this year what it looks like to properly hurt for your friends. I'm not a crier, I don't cry, but when I cry, I weep, snot, sobs, the works. It's been frequently said, you don't cry, but you're not a pretty crier. (laughs) It turns out that for me, it's my friends who trigger it. The details aren't suitable to share, but this year I have wept for their pain. I have wept out of pride, and I have wept when God has broken through. Friendship looks like empathy. It looks like feeling their pain and weeping when they weep. David weeps for what he's losing. His family, Jonathan, his security, and possibly his life. Jonathan weeps for David. When we unpack David and Jonathan's friendship, we're not enlightened as to how good a friend David is, but to how incredible a friend Jonathan is who continues to pour out this unconditional love and lays down his entire life to raise up David. Most of us want friends like Jonathan, but we don't want to be him. We want to be David. David gets all the victories. He's the one who defeated Goliath. He's the one whose name echoes around the land. He's the one who becomes king. And Jonathan is the one who lays everything down for his kingship. We'll support our friends, but we're not not willing to lay down our entire future for them. Perhaps this is even an issue within our relationships and our marriages. We want to be bound as one, but to maintain our personal identity. And the idea of laying that down is scary. I recently heard a female leader, who is very influential, and who I personally think is great, speak recently, and she mentioned how, within her husband's voice, he made a commitment to put her ministry before his, and he has lived by that every day of his marriage, continually putting her before himself. We need to be Jonathan's, not only in our friendships, but in all areas of our relationships. Maturity looks like not just wanting friends like Jonathan, or leaving today, heading out on a hunt for them, but starting first with ourselves. Instead of getting better friends, Let's be a better friend. Let's raise the standard of friendship. And if tonight you are crippled by loneliness and you've zoned out to this whole talk because you don't feel like you have any friends, we see you and we are so glad you're here. We would love it if you would consider joining a small group and stepping into our community. We would love to get around you and love you. You're so welcome here. One in five people are lonely. It's an epidemic in our workplaces and schools and on our campuses. We are called to be friends to the people in the lonely places. We are called to befriend the hurting and the broken. Who are the people that you can get alongside and befriend? Invite them for dinner or bring them along to the pub. Most of us have been that person at one time or another. And we need to draw near to them and remind them that they are seen and they are loved. David was the assumed Messiah, but Jonathan actually has so much more in common with Jesus. Jonathan is a living example of Jesus' will for his followers. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus sets a really high standard of friendship and what it means to be a spiritual brother. And because he is the son of God, we don't see this as being something we can match. But Jonathan was the same as you or me. He wasn't the son of God. And while most of us can't reach the standard of friendship, it doesn't mean we shouldn't try. We also see Jesus through Jonathan making himself vulnerable and removing his dress, placing it on David. Jesus makes himself vulnerable And naked, took off his robes and replaced our rags with the robes of a prince. Jesus commits to us, despite us consistently falling short. With his disciples, he was let down time and time again by Judas and Peter. But he fights for us. He literally fought hell for us. He sticks around and he will never leave you. He weeps with us. There's this story in the Bible where a friend of Jesus' has died, called Lazarus. But he didn't come in time to save him. When he arrives at the house, the sisters are heartbroken and Jesus weeps. Not because he didn't know he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, but because he hurts for our hurt. He loves us unconditionally. There are no limits, there's no rules or restrictions. He just asks that we trust him. He just asks us to be his friend. I have great friends in my life, but Jesus is the best friend I have ever known. That might sound cringy, but I can stand up here and tell you that that is the absolute truth. I have let him down so many times, but he pours out his unconditional love again and again and again and again. There's a couple of ways I think we need to respond to this tonight some of us, while I've been talking about fighting for friendship, you know exactly who the friend is that you need to fight for. I'm pretty sure everyone in this room has someone they need to fight for. Can I encourage you to reach out? To not just drift apart because you were too scared to fight for them? If there's someone you can text right now to check in, or see how they're doing, or to organize to see them, can we do that right now? Can we all get out our phones and text someone? I'm going to text my friend, who I haven't texted in a while, So, there's no excuse. Come on, uh, one minute and we can all do it. Maybe tonight you've realised you need to step up the way you're doing friendship. Can I encourage you to go and have some really honest and vulnerable conversations to define your friendship and commit to each other and what you want your friendship to look like? Sounds weird, but it's actually a really healthy practice. Will you stand with me? Maybe as you've been listening, you've felt stirred to take that step of accepting Jesus' friendship and unconditional love. And you want to trust him with all your heart. Or maybe you want to recommit to him. For you, this is a friendship you want to fight for. If that's you, can you be really brave and place a hand on your heart? And repeat this prayer either into yourself or out loud. In this room, there's nothing scary about that. Most of us have said this prayer at some point, and we want to celebrate that with you. This isn't something to be done in the shadows, but to shout about in the light. Jesus, I acknowledge that you're the best friend I have ever known. I believe in you, and I believe that you died and rose again for my sins. Forgive me for all the times I've let you down and turned away from you. I give you my heart and I invite you into my life. Amen. Finally, I think tonight God's asking the question, are you prepared to be Jonathans for the kingdom? In our highly individualized culture, the culture that demands that you define every part of you, whether that be through your job or your family, your deeds or your friends, your relationship status or lack of, Are you prepared to only be remembered as the king's son or daughter? Not for your deeds, but for his. Are you prepared to be used as a doorway for God to expand his kingdom through? Are you prepared to lay down your life for that? Maybe for some of you, that's the first time that you've ever said, yeah, God, have my entire life. For others, this is a response to his cries of step it up. But for some of you in this room, this literally looks like laying down your entire life. It looks like a cry of surrender and completely submitting to him. I think there's some element of this nearly all of us can respond to. I know I can. So let's turn to the person beside you and take turns praying that you become more like Jonathan in your walk with Jesus. Both in your relationships with others, but also your relationship.